1: Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Guess what, guys? It's the end of the month, so you know what that means. We're talking about the important things in life. Movies, music, TV shows. The things that really make the world go around. You know, unless you live in a place where none of those things exist. But we live here in the good old US of A, and that's not an issue for us. So we're going to talk about the important stuff. (laughs) Joining me today is frequent
0: contributor, friend of the program, alumnus, Brandon, how are you doing? I'm good, Jack. Uh, I'm excited to, about tonight's subject. I've, I've talked music with you in the past, but as much as I love music, like I have like a you know a handful of passions, uh, movie act- movies actually rank even higher than music for me, so, I, so I'm pumped about this.
1: That's, that's got to be pretty high because your love of music is by no means minuscule.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I've I've worked in the you know in radio and music like two decades, so I mean, like, it's it's a passion. But man, I'm I'm a movie nerd. Like, you know, there's like you know, you'll meet people like, oh, I like movies, and you'll meet people like, oh, I'm like really into movies. I'm a movie buff. Right. Even those people, I'm like, ah, you still like, like, I'm I'm like like next level like nerd like when it comes to movies. Like, I get into like all the Oscars and awards and like. I watch indies and I will watch foreign films. I watch documentaries. <clears throat> like if you like go like IMDb top two fifty list. Like years ago, it was like a goal to check all of them off, watch all of them, uh, watch all the best picture Oscar winners, all those things. Like I'm one of those big movie nerdy guys. There,
1: there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. On my uh, it. on my other podcast that I do with Kinetta, Kinetta and Jack save the world. Uh, last summer we did a special because you know on that uh, on that podcast we talk a lot about uh, current affairs and like um, relations between well white and black people and just everybody in general and we decided to do a special episode on black exploitation films of the seventies and so we did some research research on it. Ironically enough, the last film they consider a black exploitation film was actually filmed in the nineties. Um, but we that's sort of went.
0: That's that's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so we kind of went through the uh, the history of that. Like, There was like Shaft 1 and Shaft 2, and then right. they did like four made-for-TV Shaft movies. But at the same time, they were also making Shaft movies <laughs> that were getting released in the theater. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, and um, yeah. uh, Kenyatta has a friend that's a, a music producer, and he came on with us. So that was the first episode. And then the second episode was uh, each one of us Watched the 1972 classic Blackula. Yep, and so yep. our second episode was we reviewed Blackula. Nice. And nice. yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, there's some silly crap in it and stuff that wouldn't, you know, fly now. And because <laughs> yeah, it was made in '72, but it really was. I enjoyed watching it. <laughs> it was pretty yeah. nice.
0: No, it's cool. It, you know, it's cool to watch those. You know, just to get a sense of the history and the culture and and. You know Tarantino; those were a big influence on Tarantino. He's a huge fan. Uh, you know, well, yeah, that, like, the whole Jackie Brown and and Pamela mm-hmm. Greer and yep. and all that. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some good stuff there.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're thinking about doing another one where we watch uh, or review Superfly.
0: Nice, nice. I've seen Superfly.
1: Yeah, yeah. We were thinking about maybe doing that a couple times a year, just because it's sort of different, but. It's still culturally significant.
0: That's what I'm saying. Like it's it's really cool to watch those for the significance and just kind of like educate yourself on, on the period and 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 all those things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And speaking of this was completely unintentional when I <laughs> when I mentioned Blackula. Speaking of movies made in nineteen in the early nineteen seventies. Let's just uh, transition into your movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, 1972, actually. This came out in 1972. Uh, So I am going to talk about my number one, hands down, favorite, not even a question. I may end up having a number two favorite movie at some point, but nothing will ever top this for me. Uh, The Godfather. 1972, Francis Ford Coppola, of course, right, uh, based off the Mario Puzo novel, starring Marlon Brando and my favorite actor of all time, Al Pacino, and I mean Robert Duvall, James Caan, Diane Keaton, Talia Shire. Uh, I mean, you can go on and on. the The cast is is ridiculous. Uh, I I don't know where to go. I, I'll I'll let you or or you know direct me because I could I could <laughs> do a an hour. Monologue about the Godfather, if you want me to. But if you want me <laughs> right. to go a certain direction, let me know.
1: Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola definitely cheaped out on the on the actors of that of that <laughs> film, didn't he? I mean, he just went with just a bunch of people you never heard of again, except for the Godfather sequels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what's funny is um, there there's this whole like underlying story with the Al Pacino, uh, character because you know they they got. Marlon Brando. And that was huge. That that was huge. He was, you know, considered the greatest actor at the time. Uh, and of course, now, you know, is considered, you know, maybe the greatest actor ever, along with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and, and a handful of other guys. They didn't want, at the time, Pacino was, was an unknown. He right. had, was doing Broadway uh, and making a big name for himself there. He had won a Tony and he had won an Obie, which is an off-Broadway award. And it starred in this movie called The Panic in Needle Park. It was his first, you know, kind of feature movie. And he played a guy that was, he was basically addicted to drugs. Um, but it was a love story. So Coppola saw that movie. And he was like, I've got to have this actor as my Michael Corleone. I, I have to have him. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the studio pushed back on it. Paramount pushed back on it. They wanted uh, They wanted Warren Beatty. They wanted, like, Robert Redford. They wanted, like, all these different guys. And Coppola's like, no, i got to have Pacino. So there was, like, this whole underlying storyline uh, about the studio. Even, like, while they were filming, the, the studio wanted to fire Pacino because he was an unknown. They thought he wasn't Hollywood good-looking enough. They thought he was too short. They thought he was too Italian-looking, which is hilarious. Right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's this whole thing. And then uh, there's the scene... The pivotal scene in the restaurant where he shoots uh, Salasso, the uh, the cop, and also—well, I won't get into all that. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess. Uh,
1: it's a fifty-year-old movie. Um, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so I think good. we could—we're we're free to talk about you're spoilers. Right. <laughs> uh,
0: but they saw that daily, and after they saw that, they we're like, okay, all right, we'll keep Pacino. He's he's really good. That was like convinced them. Sorry, that was a whole tangent because you're talking about the cast, and it was just well, so yeah, funny no. But Pacino is like this unknown. And of course, he becomes like, you know, one of the greatest actors of all time. It was considered a really, really big risk to to cast this unknown for for Michael Corleone.
1: Yeah, yeah. No. Um a lot of times, you know, big risks like that um does uh ends up paying off in the end, and you do have somebody that ends up having an you know an incredible career. So this is clearly one of those cases. Yeah. So have you read the book as well?
0: So, I'm not one of those, I'm not going to pretend to be one of those guys that's like, uh, or or ladies that, you know, reads a lot of books along with the movies. Uh, like, you know, I've watched the entire Harry Potter uh, movie series, never once read the book. Watched all Lord of the Rings, never once read the book. But The Godfather was the exception. Uh, I loved it so much, I did have to read the book. Yeah, I've read the book, and it, it's great as well. It's, I mean, it was a bestseller, obviously, at the time. It was a hot product you know cuz it it takes this mysterious and kind of ominous mafia storyline you know everybody's kind of intrigued by the mafia kind of right. scared of it but then they they did something different Puso did something different and he made it like a family like a true family uh it's a it's the story of the Corleone family and so it's 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 a great book. And it, what's funny is there's enough material in it for part one and two. A lot of part two is from the book as well, not just part one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the book's great as well. I
1: I think I've only read maybe, you know, books that went on to be made movies. I think I've maybe only read probably five or six. I don't think it's been any more than that. I have read, strangely enough, I don't like Stephen reading Stephen King books but I've read three of his books that were made in <laughs> movies because Heather was like, they're so different. You got to, so, you know, I went ahead and I did that like the running man.
0: Yes. I've read it, the running man. Uh,
1: completely, completely different. Yeah. Um,
0: completely different. And wasn't the running man. I could be wrong, but wasn't that the one that he wrote under his, his different- Richard
1: Bachman. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. What I it, thought.
1: it certainly is. Uh, another one I read was Jaws. Uh huh. And in the book Jaws, the Richard Dreyfuss character was banging um, the wife of uh, the sheriff dude. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, we're going to need a bigger say, boat. He was
0: banging the shark. Like, yeah. oh, that's like just...
1: <laughs> no, that would be a whole other uh, type yeah. of film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't really the that. Seriously, I, I had no idea that in the book he's, That's crazy. That would yeah. have changed the movie in a lot of ways. Yeah,
1: the Roy Schreider character, Roy Schreider. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, it. Uh, I was like, "Oh, that's." I guess I see why Spielberg cut that out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was the uh was the famous uh big monologue from Jaws in in the book
1: where he's talking about being on the Indianapolis when it yep. sank? You know what? Yep. I don't remember if it was or not. To oh, okay. be honest with you.
0: Okay, um, I know but... you're going to need a bigger boat, isn't it? Because that was an improv line.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: was line. yeah,
1: yeah. That w- that was an improv line, but. It was a perfect improv line,
0: oh, it was it was absolutely
1: anyway, I side quested us
0: <laughs> so so okay, so speaking of actors, though that's I mean reasons why the Godfather, I think is the one the the greatest movie of all time, but two my favorite movie of all time. I mean, you have Marlon Brando, you know who is who was already a mega star. We talked about that because of on the Waterfront and streetcar named Desire and all these movies that he did before, but this was just a completely different character for him playing this Don. And of course he's fascinating because he's, he's this huge figure in the movies, but he's kind of the most respectable character of, of all these Corleones, you know, Sonny's the hothead. Michael has this transformation from war hero to kind of like cold blooded Don figure. Fredo of course is sympathetic, but you know, he's, he's Fredo. But, but Marlon Brando gives this, like, touch of, like, like honor and integrity to this, like, big, huge, powerful man, uh, Mafia figure. Then you have Al Pacino. Uh, I I think it, you take one and two, honestly, as, like, one big, long movie, Godfather right. 1 and 2. And I, think it's, I think Pacino's performance, going from this innocent, doesn't want anything to do with the family character, this war hero – Uh, He tells Kay at the beginning, you know, that's that's my family. That's not me to becoming this just completely ruthless, like loses all. I I don't want to say like morals, but like he he just completely transformed. See the transformation just to happen in part one. I I just think it's one of the best.
1: You just made me think of this. Never even considered it. It's almost like he had. A Walter White transformation.
0: Yes. Yeah, he he really yeah, that's from Walter
1: White to Heisenberg.
0: Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. Yeah, he uh and and I thought that as I was watching Breaking Bad, I was like, you really do he it was like a Michael Corleone type of transformation. That's exactly what it is. Of course Brian Cranston was incredible, one of the best TV performances of all time. But he got to layer that he got to layer that that performance throughout like what six or seven seasons with all these episodes. So you you know, see it. But Pacino had to do it within three hours, you know, like right. to start here and to end here. And to do that, you, had, you know, it's not like he's just playing two different people. Along the way, he's he's at one end and then he like – you see him start to be, become a little bit more, then a little bit more, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. It would be one thing if it was just this innocent, doesn't want anything to do with the family at the beginning and he's cold-blooded at the end. And it's just two separate performances. But you see the journey along the way. And how how all these little things that happen to him change who he is. I just think it's an incredible performance. Of course, Robert Duvall is is great as Tom Hagen, the, the kind of family counselor. Uh, James Caan is great. Uh, a lot of people listening probably best know him from Elf, but he's so good as the hothead Sonny. I, I, it's the, the the performances are just just off the chart good. But then you know they're they're given such good dialogue to work with the script is just fantastic and and puso and and coppola worked on it together for months uh because the the book was great obviously but you had to turn that into a screenplay you had to turn this book that had so much material into it into a movie that's going to be three hours long and and the studio wanted it to be an hour and a half they didn't want this to be a three-hour movie that was another thing that that coppola fought them on and he won but you know, it would have been a completely different movie if you take out half of that movie. They didn't want oh, yeah. to film in Italy, Sicily at all. That 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 whole part, they thought that was going to be too expensive than anything. was necessary, and of course, it's necessary to a uh, Michael's journey. Anyways, but but the screenplay that they, I think it's so cool though that that Coppola and Piuso did this together. Like they were a, they were kind of a dynamic duo. You know, usually people who write the 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 book have nothing to do with the screenplay. Like it's usually adapted and Coppola did adapt, but he wanted Puso as a part of it. So they did it together and like what they turned out was just remarkable. And then Coppola, his direction. I mean, just, just off the charts. I mean, the, the cinematography, like the dark mood setting and, and all those things. And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just an incredible movie. I, I don't know where you want to get it. it won best picture, (laughs) uh, 1972, best picture, Best best director, best actor. And it's still the only uh, movie where part one and part two won Best Picture because part two won Best Picture uh, two years later, uh, deservedly. To me, the two greatest movies of all time.
1: What are your thoughts on part three?
0: I'm glad you asked that. I (laughs) I think that part three on its own is a very good movie. People forget this. It was nominated for Best Picture, and I don't think it was just nominated just because it was a Godfather movie. I think taken on its own, it is a very good movie, but it is a very flawed movie, unfortunately. If it wasn't being compared to part one and part two, I think people would say, this is a great movie. But you're comparing it to, you know, it's it's like, I'm an NBA guy, so I go back to this. It's like, Michael Jordan on the Bulls is like the goat, right? Greatest of all yeah. time. That's how, I, that's how I consider the godfather of the movies. I consider those the goat movies of all time. Well, Michael Jordan, when he unretired for the second time and played for the Wizards, he was still an all-star player. He was past his prime. He was older. He had taken off for a couple of years. But he came back. He was still a really good player. He averaged over 20 points. He scored efficiently. He was still an all-star. He just, But if you compared him to the Bulls' Michael Jordan, not even comparable. Like Like night and day, like Bulls' Michael Jordan compared to Wizards' Michael Jordan. But wizards, Michael Jordan. If you just judge him on his own, was still a good player. That's how I look at Godfather Three. The biggest, the biggest mistake that Francis Ford Coppola made was casting his daughter Sophia Coppola, who ended up becoming a great director on her right. own years later, as as Michael's daughter. Now, that's not entirely Francis's fault. And first of all, Francis uh, hired his sister Talia Shire in the first. Two, Originally in the Godfather film, she was great. He hired his dad to be the the composer. Great, fantastic music. The score didn't even talk about that. One of the greatest theme songs of all time. But when he hired his daughter – Okay, so originally Julia Roberts was supposed to play Michael Corleone's daughter. That would have been great. She couldn't get out of a – I can't remember what movie it was, but she was contractually obligated to another movie. She tried getting it out, getting out of it. She couldn't do it. So then it was going to be um Winona Ryder the daughter. They originally, they started filming with Winona Ryder but uh she had personal things going on. She was like she was clinically diagnosed with exhaustion. She had to bow out. So they had to hire somebody else so they hired his daughter. Unfortunately, she God bless her, she was awful in the movie. And it's just <laughs> like it's so you know you see Pacino who I think was great in part 3 as well. You see uh all these other actors that are so good. And then Sophia, she's just, she's a great director, but, but she was not suited to be Michael Corleone's daughter. So that's, that's the big glaring weakness. Uh, but there's some great scenes in that, like his, uh, Michael's confession to the priest, him breaking down about that, about killing Fredo, his brother. Uh, and then the scene in the kitchen, you know, the whole, every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. I right. line. Uh, and then he breaks, he has the nervous breakdown. Again, about Fredo in the kitchen. There, there's some really, really good scenes in it. Great movie, just not part one and two,
1: right? And I don't know, maybe it being because uh, I just looked up when that uh, when part three came out, and according to the interwebs, it was 1990. So that is quite a, uh, you know, a gap in between the uh, the three films there, so or you know, between two and three. But
0: yeah, it was this, it was a 16 year gap, which is huge, and. The other thing is it released the same year 1990 that Goodfellas did, which did not help because (laughs) Goodfellas, of course, Scorsese, ended up being, in my opinion, and probably most film critics' opinion, the the second best mafia movie of all time next to Godfather 1 and 2. Then you had Goodfellas. That just so happened to release the same year as Godfather 3, so that didn't do it any favors whatsoever because it's going to be naturally compared to that one that year as well.
1: Yeah, I, I can't believe that in terms of great mafia movies, you forget the uh, the 90s hit with Steve Martin where he plays the Heaven? monster. Yeah. <laughs> and they build the baseball field for munder, yes. money laundering.
0: Yes. Uh, Rick is too. Care. I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love My Blue Heaven. That's a great one. <laughs> That's a great one. Uh, what other? There's, there's some other really good mo- – I don't know if I can beat that in terms of, like, comedies. Uh, maybe Mickey Blue Eyes. But My Blue Heaven, I'd, I'd take over Mickey Blue Eyes. i go with Steve Martin over Hugh Grant when it comes to comedy mafia movies, personally. Donnie Brasco is an underrated one. Came out in 97 with Pacino, where he plays kind of like a, a lower-tier mafia guy who never really made it. But Johnny Depp uh, goes undercover. That's a, that's a really, really good one. Casino was another good one. Scorsese, De Niro. There's been a lot of good mafia movies, but but to me... Godfather 1 and 2. It's just just all the elements from the acting, the script, the music, the score, the cinematography. Just this epic telling of this, you know, fascinating mafia family. But then all the inner workings of of all the other heads of the families. And and like there's like this mystery, like who can you trust? Who can you not trust? Then this power passing the baton from from – Don Corleone to Michael Corleone, from Vito to Michael, uh, and those scenes with with Brando and Pacino uh, towards the end are just so good. I, I just, and there's so many iconic scenes. Like, that's the thing about The Godfather, too. Like, you try to think of a favorite scene, and of course, you know, the famous ones, there's the the horse's head, there's the, um, the baptism scene at the end where they take down, like, the heads of all the other families and anyone who ever crossed the Corleones. There's Sonny, you know, beating up his sister's husband, who had beaten her. Uh, I, mean, is, I mean, the the restaurant scene that we talked about, where he gunned down Salazzo. I mean, it's just when you watch the, There's the opening scene, the "I Believe in America" scene. When when you it's almost like when to me when you watch The Godfather, instead of watching a movie, it's almost like you're watching scene after scene. They're just iconic scene after iconic scene. Like it it, it almost feels to me like you're watching you know this almost feels like an event more than it does a movie. Like when I watch The Godfather, like I, like I don't just like, hey, I'm going to watch The Godfather tonight. Like I would watch like Three Amigos or right. I would watch, you know, Weird Science. I am like, okay, next Friday, I'm going to make some spaghetti. I'm going to get some wine. I'm going to schedule off three hours. I'm going to sit down. Oh, I have a friend who hasn't watched The Godfather yet. going to have him come over. We're going to watch it. It's going to be this whole, you know what I'm saying? Like to me, yeah, it's yeah. more like an event than just like watching a movie. That's like, the place that the Godfather holds for me,
1: right? It's sort of like um if somebody asks, you know, what's your favorite part of the Princess Bride, and I'm like, the whole movie. There right. is no it, not favorite part of the Princess Bride. What scene? Can, what part can you not like in that movie? Right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> the exactly. Godfather is like that. What's your favorite yeah. part of the, all of it?
0: Yeah, the whole thing. The whole thing is just so good. Uh, it's it's and it's three hours, and and it's just it's amazing. Like. Just the layers that they can pack in. You know, you watch some three-hour movies and, you know, uh, you can get bored. I never get bored with The Godfather. You can watch some – I know some people get bored with The Godfather, but, you know, that's not me. And then some three-hour movies, you just – like, I I think it's a really efficient three hours, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, when you think about, like, all the journeys that the different characters and the family and and all that takes on, on in three hours, they actually pack a lot into a very little time, even though it's, it's a long movie.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're watching, and you're like, wow, that didn't seem like it was that long. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and yeah. And sometimes you will watch a longer movie and you're just like, uh, I think they should have cut this scene.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's also, there's certain movies where like the critical success meets the commercial success at the time it was the biggest box office movie of all time uh, it ended up getting past jaws actually uh, right. a couple years later and then jaws ushered in the era of blockbuster movies and then of course star wars and like you know and so it went further and further down but at the time you know it was a movie that won best picture but also was the biggest box office movie of all time you know it's it's rare that you see it'd be like uh, let me take a recent example. No Country for Old Men being like the biggest box office movie of, of that year. Right. Like that, it's just rare that those things happen where the critical and commercial success meet. And I think The Godfather is just kind of like a perfect, and it was so influential, pioneering. Uh, I would highly recommend. There's this uh, actually last year, the Paramount Network came out with a series starring uh, Miles Teller uh, about the making of The Godfather called The Offer. And it, it basically just the making of like, Getting it made was so – there so many things that had to happen for this to get made. It's a fascinating story.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Have you ever Um, just – it's related because it's Coppola. Have you ever uh, found out about, like, all the craziness of making Apocalypse Now?
0: Oh, dude. Yeah, there's a whole documentary. Uh, it's called um, Yeah. Uh, the Dark uh, – oh, my gosh, what is it called? Now I'm going to have to look it up. uh, Yes, I've seen that documentary. That is wild. Everything that had to happen for that movie to get made, and like how uh, Hearts of Darkness. I knew the word darkness was in it. Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse, uh, is the documentary. And of course, that ended up being a classic, you know, as well. Coppola, like in the 70s, was like absolutely on fire between the two Godfather movies and Apocalypse Now and the conversation.
1: It ended in the '80s with The Outsiders.
0: Yeah, it did. You're right. You're right. And then he had stuff like, like the Dracula movie and Jack with Robin Williams. Like it kind of. Uh, I think did the Rainmaker, if I remember right, the Grisham novel with uh, with Matt Damon. You're right. I'd say like his last classic he made was probably The Outsiders. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Chris's greatest gift to cinema is being the uncle of Nick the Cage Cage.
0: Wait, say it again. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that whole family. I mean, like Francis Ford Coppola, Talia Shire, Nicholas Cage. Like there is some, some, some strong, uh, movie blood in that.
1: There definitely is. Definitely is a lot of nepotism too. No, I'm just...
0: <laughs> yeah. no there was. I mean, but it, you know, it's. I talked about that with with Sophia, but but I got to give her her flowers on directing though. She ended up being a great director.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> So, um, well, you're not gonna believe this. you just spent roughly thirty minutes talking about the Godfather, which did I you probably do believe it, yeah, 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 yeah so
0: I, what's funny is i could I could talk more about it. I feel like that was a I feel like i I did it it's it's justice, like without getting too in depth or bo- and boring about it,
1: right, right, um now, before I switch over to uh what I was going to talk about. There is a movie that came out about 2003-ish, four-ish called The Lining. And it has uh, the great General Zod, also known as Terrence Stamp in it. Yep. And he plays this guy that had just gotten out of prison in the UK. And he was a, sort of like a low-level mobster thief kind of guy. And he comes to, I want to say L.A., because while he was in prison his daughter had got murdered and so he wants to find out you know what happened to his daughter it's a really cool movie but the thing that's interesting about this movie is uh they were going to go back and film the scenes that took place in the 60s when he was you know newly married and the baby was born the one that gets murdered and his character you know was just like this low level thief and everything so they were going to hire a different actor and, and go in and film this and terrence stamp says Well, you know, in the 60s, I made a movie where I was a low level thief and we had a daughter, and that was the plot. And it ends with me going to jail. He was like, I have a feeling you could probably buy the rights to that fairly easily. And so the director was like, let's look into this. So they did. They bought the rights to this other movie and they cut those scenes from the other movie. So it's not a sequel to that other movie, but they had all of this perfect footage of, you know, 22 year old Terrence Stamp wow acting in a movie <laughs> so um it's actually a pretty good movie so if you uh get a chance uh, i recommend watching it it's called the limey
0: yeah early I 2000s it came out. i remember when it came out i remember it was steven soderbergh i actually haven't seen it though uh, i may have to watch that is that is a really uh fascinating backstory
1: yeah because when i was watching i was like holy shit that's Freaking Terrence Stamp, you know, Yeah. this is before you had de-aging technology, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just like, did they honestly, the guy saw it, he's like, we should make a sequel to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I did a little research and that's how I found out afterwards that that's what came out. But kind of cool, mafia related.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll put Limey (laughs) on the list. I, I never ended up watching it. I don't know why. It was on my, it was on my radar.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you'll probably probably enjoy it. If you if you watch it, let me know. Okay. But uh anyway, moving on to uh what I was going to talk about. Also, something that's a little older. Whereas uh The Godfather is 50, uh what I'm going to talk about just celebrated its 60th anniversary. And this would be a little small television show from the UK called Doctor Who nice and for a show that i don't think anybody thought was going to make it past the first season it's had some uh, incredible longevity
0: (laughs) man has it ever incredible longevity and incredible uh i mean cast of of dr who's how many has it been
1: we are now at let me think i think 15 wow but it, it's really strange. If you don't know the premise of Doctor Who, he's from this planet called Gallifrey. They're time lords. They have these machines that go in and out of time. They can go anywhere. The machines are called a TARDIS. And uh, the TARDIS can make itself look like anything in the environment that it's in. So it hides in plain sight. But because they have all of this, you know, super duper technology, the inside of the TARDIS is vast and the outside, you know, is a little tiny thing. Well, when he landed in the UK, it took the shape of a blue police box and then the circuit that makes it switch broke. So it's forever been stuck, you know, as a blue police box, which has led to the multitude of, Oh my God, it's bigger on the inside jokes. But (laughs) the thing that I appreciate is um, William Hartnell, who played the first doctor was starting to show some like early onset dementia type signs. And he was having a hard time keeping his lines up. But he was such like a proud man that he had a hard time admitting that he was having these issues. And so the studio had this conundrum of, do we just replace the actor and just pretend that it's the same character? And somebody finally came up with, well, what if Time Lords had this thing where their body achieves a certain amount of damage, but they have this energy that realigns all of their cells and they can become a new character? And everyone's like, "Okay, that's freaking amazing." So that's what they did and that's what has in fact enabled the show to, you know, go on for 60 years is that when the actor playing the doctor gets tired of playing the doctor, oh, okay, you just took about a lot of damage and you'll just become a new actor, <laughs> you know, a new a new person and that's what they did. Now, I will admit that the budgets of Doctor Who <laughs> through through the 80s when it finally sort of because it went on like a ten or fifteen something ish year. Well, not fifteen hiatus. The budgets aren't good. They they did a lot with what they have, but that is why the Daleks, their big laser weapon, is in fact a plunger. But <laughs> you know, but they 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 did the best with what they had, and there there have been some really you know quality scripts and everything that went on and or, you know that they that they've had. But where, in my opinion doctor who really 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 sort of exploded was in 2005 when they brought it back with what would be the ninth doctor and uh this guy was the ninth doctor was played by a guy who lit who ended up having you know no career at all in the acting world named christopher eccleson <laughs> no nobody's ever heard of that guy <laughs> <laughs> um but he was only on for uh, one season him and the showrunners and the producers didn't get along uh, i i actually think
0: really that,
1: yeah huh. from what i understand christopher eccleson can be kind of hard to work with i guess <laughs> but okay. i i'm not saying that it was him you know sometimes people just butt heads and so he left after one season, and then the Doctor was recast as another actor who's had a pretty poor career, named David Tennant.
0: Yeah, David Tennant. I'm a David Tennant fan. The the one I I, I won't pretend that I've watched a lot of Doctor Who, but the little bit of Doctor Who that I've watched were was the version with David Tennant in it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And one of the cool things though is each Doctor is has a different personality. Mm. Which, you know, helps with sort of the actor that's playing the doctor. You can kind of have the personality fit, you know, sort of that actor. And David Tennant ended up playing the doctor for a pretty decent amount of time. But in terms of screen time, it's not the most. Uh, some of that is there was like a writer's strike, you know, while they were filming. So there was like a year and a half that there was no new Doctor Who and and all of that stuff. But he has come back. and. Wow played the doctor since then when they did the 50th anniversary special uh, the 12th doctor i'm sorry the 11th doctor was matt smith another actor who has gone on to not do anything you know <laughs> other than you know house of dragons right was yeah. <laughs> with that royal show that they have where he played uh, king charles's dad whatever prince philip you know his his career has just been horrible <laughs> and so the so when they had the fiftieth anniversary, they actually had the tenth Doctor, David Tennant, and the eleventh Doctor, Matt Smith, do it together, on that together. But you know they have time machines, so it's totally possible. And then Matt Smith's Doctor was kind of like an ADHD riddled child, huh. but he had this sort of dark undertone. It's it, I don't know if I can necessarily word it correctly I don't know but he there's like this dark undertone so he has like this childlike ADHD I'm crazy never stop moving never stop talking but it was it was known that if he needed to I guess get down and dirty (laughs) you know that that he would and then uh he regenerated into Peter Capaldi also another uh more so in the UK but a pretty well-known actor as well who, ironically enough, his role before he got cast in that was the doctor for the World Health Organization in the Brad Pitt zombie movie.
0: Oh, uh, World War had, Z.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. was sort of odd that he played, you know, Doctor Who, somewhat, yeah. you know. But um, of all of the doctors, his and Matt Smith's are kind of my favorite because Twelve, Peter Capaldi, his doctor, because he's he's like just an older, sort of grumpy. <laughs> doctor it's almost like he's tired of everybody's crap and if you know anything about peter capaldi he has these his eyebrows and his eyes he can just do like the slightest hint and he just looks angry oh. <laughs> and so when he first regenerates they incorporate that into him regenerating so he's like looking into the mirror and he's just like these are war eyebrows they could like lead people into battle <laughs>
0: you know i'm looking him up now i can totally see that yeah (laughs) absolutely
1: but i liked uh i just felt like his doctor at that point was so completely different from the the doctors that were sort of since the reboot in 2005 you know that had come before him his was probably closer to uh the first doctor william hartnell and i also appreciated the other thing they did um Before he became an actor, Peter Capaldi was a musician. And so they incorporated his guitar playing abilities into uh, the doctor. Nice. And he was also the only person to have been a child when Doctor Who first came on.
0: Uh. And he actually
1: had written a letter to the producers of Doctor Who talking about how maybe one day he could be an actor on the show, (laughs) you know, as a kid, which is kind of cool yeah that's, so his, really his cool. dream came true
0: yeah that's incredible
1: and then capaldi regenerated into jody whitaker
0: yeah jody and- whitaker i like i like i haven't seen her at all as far as dr hugo but i'm a fan of a couple of other things that she's done uh she was in attack the block which i like quite a bit and How how is she as doctor who
1: she was an she was an okay doctor. I didn't have any problems with her. My problems were with the showrunner and the writer because the person they brought in had never done sort of sci-fi Doctor Who stuff. Wait, and so he, is she not
0: Doctor Who anymore?
1: No, she just regenerated. She did her three years. Most people are the Doctor for three years and then they leave. So I she know. just regenerated. Three years,
0: man, time flies by. I feel like she just became like the Doctor like two years ago in my head. Right.
1: Yeah, well, you also have to remember, too, that with British TV, it's different than the U.S. TV. That's true. If You can skip a year in British TV, and that doesn't mean anything. They, that's true. They, they do not care. Yeah, um, and they'll
0: put out, like, four episodes, wait, put out, like, another three episodes, wait, like, four years, give you four more episodes. Yeah, it's...
1: Yeah, Luther is a perfect example yep. of that. That's,
0: that's the exact one I was thinking. I was a bit... A Luther fan. God, that uh, show is so Nova good. Show. That was a great show.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, she just regenerated, and I guess since it just happened like last August, I'm not going to mention who she regenerated to because that is sort of spoilery, <laughs> you know, considering okay. what's yeah. going to happen. But it was definitely unique in how they did that. The funny thing was at the time, people were mad that the doctor regenerated into a woman. Are which, they really? Yeah. Yeah. And my point is so you don't have a problem with the concept that the dude's about to die. This energy that's in its cells expands. All of his cells rearrange themselves and he becomes a new person entirely. You're good with that only as long as it remains a dude. Right.
0: right. <laughs> you
1: know, all of his cells become an entirely new. You know, being but as a different gender—that's a step too far,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so, is there is there like a pretty? I assume there's a pretty fat, passionate like Doctor Who fan base, though, right? Like, I know. Oh, it's a, it's oh yeah. Big, I know it's a big show. Like, is there like a big like a?
1: Uh... It's Star Wars level.
0: Okay, that's what I was wondering. That's what I was wondering. Okay.
1: Yeah, Star Wars, Star Trek level in terms of fandom, it it is up there with with that
0: okay okay that's that's and, what i was curious i mean anytime you have a huge huge fan base and there's changes that are made i mean that just kind of goes with the uh territory because nobody wants to see like the characters that they've you know been in love with for so long to to change in any sort of way so um, yeah following like you know it seems like it's that way with every you know star wars star trek even Marvel, like you know, superhero characters. DC, like you know, you see it happen. So,
1: yeah, yeah. I I think I understand why uh, the Jodie Whittaker Doctor regenerated into who she regenerated into, because the ratings under her did did fall pretty dramatically. Oh, really? And, and yeah, I don't blame her. It you know, it's just sort of one of those you know situations where you're just stuck in a. You know, in a bad, a bad place, sort of like Sam Bradford's first four years with the St. Louis Rams.
0: Right. Yeah. Good example. Yeah. Yeah. Good you know, example.
1: He was. He was just trapped. He was just in a sucky situation.
0: Right. It, so I got. Qu- oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was, I was just going to ask real quick. Like, uh, have have you seen every single like Doctor Who, like episode, I, like
1: since the reboot? Since the tooth, well, not the okay. reboot. Since it came back in two thousand and five.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So and- if if, do you, if I were to, because I have been interested in Doctor Who before. Like I said, I've probably watched two episodes ever, just you know, scenes or clips here and there. But I've been curious about it. If if someone were to start Doctor Who, like what what is a good starting point? And do you do you can you watch with any new Doctor? Or do you should you pick it up at a certain spot?
1: You can start with any new doctor. Um, But where I would start, honestly, is the I think it's 96 ish, somewhere in that time frame, Fox wanted to bring Doctor Who over to the US as a TV show and pick up on it. And it was legitimately the Doctor Who people, the guy that was the seventh doctor, which now my brain can't think of his name. What I meant to say was Sylvester McCoy. Uh, the brown wizard in the Hobbit movies. Who now I can't think of his name because I need to recall it. So my mind won't pick that up. So he was the, the seventh doctor. And they picked up at the beginning of this made-for-TV movie with him being the doctor. He dies. He regenerates into Paul McGann. And the idea was that it would be a TV show here in the U.S. with Paul McGann being the eighth Doctor. Okay, But the movie just didn't get the ratings here in the U.S. So it never went past that, that made-for-TV movie. Except for in the U.K., they have a strong audio book, sort of like radio play type thing going on with Doctor Who. And he probably has done 10 to 25 Doctor Who audiobooks. So he goes in and still acts as the character and all that. So his doctor, and it's all considered canon, so his doctor has all of these sort of adventures. You just can't, you know, watch them. I don't recommend going and listen to any of those. So start with the Fox movie, TV movie, and then just go into the ninth doctor with Christopher Eccleston because there is some stuff afterwards that sort of gets in that if you know about the Paul McGann doctor, it helps.
0: Good to know. Um, Okay. Later
1: on. And honestly you know there's a lot but heather and i binge watched it over a summer one year so
0: really know. okay That's so, good to know.
1: yeah so it can be done honestly there's no need to go back and watch a lot of the earlier stuff um i don't dislike it but because it's so much earlier you know pacing is different the way scripts works are different the way they produce them were different it and I just, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think that you need to go back to that point and watch them all. But you definitely, that would be my starting point. Those that made for TV, uh, Fox movie that came out in the nineties. Okay.
0: Good to know. I've been curious, so that's that's good to know. I may, I may pick up on it at some point. Yeah, it. I think it's
1: it's worth it, and you know, and then you find yourself starting to use a lot of British terms, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> as it goes through and. One of the things that's sort of a, a Doctor Who is you have, you know, what are called his companion. And that's basically the audience member, you know, sort of as you go through everything, and that's where you get the whole uh it's bigger on the inside. Well, except for Clara. Um, when they 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 swapped it when she went into the TARDIS the first time and she's all it's it's smaller on the outside. <laughs> And there's another cool sort of thing to watch, too. For the 50th anniversary, they did a made-for-TV movie about how the TV show came about back in the 60s. And the actor who played uh, William Hartnell was so good and so spot-on as playing the Doctor, because they would film scenes as him, you know, playing the Doctor, that they ended up in uh, uh, an episode with Peter Capaldi bringing him on to actually play the first Doctor as a character in the show really yeah yeah which which was kind of cool and um sort of the thing was so the first doctor and then uh 12 peter capaldi they sort of meet up and they go in the first doctor's tardis but peter capaldi's doctor is like i finally get to do it i finally get to do it so they go in and he's all wow it's bigger on the inside yeah, obviously, because I watch the show, it's a lot funnier to me. But um, it, it's just still sort of, sort of funny. And there's just you know they go through history stuff, and it, it's interesting future, you know, all of that. A lot of crazy sort of concepts that happen. A lot of saving of the old universe, you
0: know, yeah. that
1: type of stuff. Yeah,
0: no, uh, I'll, I'll give the uh, I'll I'll give that TV movie a shot and and kind of go from there and see see what I think. I've been curious.
1: Yeah, and then. Um, it's kind of a shame though that christopher eccleson didn't didn't get along because it would have been nice to have had him in the 50th anniversary yeah special even though it ended up creating a doctor that nobody knew about that was there but so with the doctors they always go by their number you know one two matt smith's 11 david Tennant's 10 it's also 10.5 but that's a side thing And so they introduced this character that's called in the 50th anniversary. That's the war doctor that nobody knew about with the war doctor. Originally, the war doctor was supposed to be Christopher Eccleston's care doctor, the ninth doctor, but he wouldn't do it. And so rather than have a different actor play him, but still be the ninth doctor, they just created a new doctor that no one knew about, which was kind of cool. But so, yeah, anyway, I just love doctor who it's, if you like sci-fi, that type of stuff, it's definitely uh, something worth watching in my opinion,
0: yeah. I'll give it a shot. i uh, I feel like if I'm on a podcast and and we're doing a deep dive on dr who, i gotta I gotta at least give it a shot. think yeah, you do I've been curious for years. It just seems so overwhelming because there was so much out there, and I had no idea you know where the starting point was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if you started with the first doctor, I mean, good God, 60 years worth of material.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> yeah. Start all the way there. Oh my gosh. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that, that's how I, I recommend doing it. And as it goes on, you pick up enough that you, you're kind of good with some of the, uh, uh, you know, other doctors and you know, enough of the story, um, The interesting thing, though, is David Tennant met his wife on Doctor Who. Oh. She played a character on that show, and, you know, they met, started dating. But the interesting thing about that is her father is the fifth doctor.
0: Oh, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, and uh, David Tennant's son, I don't know if you know this, was on House of the Dragon?
0: Oh, I didn't know that, no.
1: Yeah, he played... uh, like teenage, I think it's Aegon, King Aegon.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: And um, apparently, one of the the funny things is is that neither the fifth Doctor or David Tennant's Doctor is his favorite Doctor. Apparently, his favorite is Matt Smith.
0: Huh. <laughs> That's funny. So everybody's yeah. kind of got the, so everybody's kind of got their own favorite Doctor, huh? Is there like oh a, yeah, yeah? There's no like consensus like this was the best Doctor, kind of like James Bond, like. You know, people argue Sean Connery or Daniel Craig, or, you know, some people like me are crazy and say Roger Moore. It, it, so Timothy kind of Dalton, by far. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, side quest. If you think about it, uh, the latest James Bond, now my mind is blank again. We all know who it is. You know, the last four movies.
0: Yeah, Daniel Craig.
1: Thank you. Daniel <laughs> Craig's Bond, when you go and look at all of the various bonds, me is the most like timothy dalton's bond
0: interesting
1: go and look at the two timothy dalton films and then compare them to the daniel craigs and those are the two i don't know i just don't think the daniel craig bond could have existed without the timothy dalton bond. that's
0: interesting because most people you know obviously i'd say the most popular is sean connery but then next yeah. in line it seems like is daniel craig and then of course you know, people will say Pierce Brosnan or, or Roger Moore, but everybody to a man has Timothy Dalton last. So that's interesting if if there's some uh, similarities between those two, with, with Craig being so popular and Timothy Dalton being so unpopular.
1: Right, being so not popular.
0: Right, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, is he considered worse than the, the dude that just did the one that wasn't actually the actor that was after Sean Connery and then his was bad and so they brought Sean Connery back?
0: ah uh, who was that dude ah uh. anyway um, <laughs> yeah no, i don't know it it just seems like timothy dalton poor guy is always like a punch line so yeah I don't, but but you're right at least he like actually played the part a few times
1: yeah yeah well i mean obviously his his best work was in flash gordon but
0: oh absolutely yeah absolutely <laughs> i'm looking it up i uh i forgot he was in hot fuzz I'm looking Timothy Dalton up. He's 76 years old now. Oh wow. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That that was a fun side quest.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, everybody has their own favorite doctor, much like everyone has their own favorite Bond. Right. And um anyway, yeah. They the Jody Whitaker doctor, I think they had to regenerate into who it regenerated into for to bring ratings back.
0: Right. Okay. I
1: think I think it was a ratings move, but I'm not upset by it at all. Okay. And uh, sort of before we go, cause we're having been right at an hour here. There is, they always talk about him, but he's never mentioned. There is an evil version of the doctor. Really? Yes. Okay. But they've never had anyone really portray the evil version. And one of the things that I think would be cool. And partially because they hinted at this with Matt Smith's doctor is sometimes people were, Um, sort of like really, really afraid of his doctor probably more than they should have been right? based upon the story. And then, of course, you know, as they met, whatever, that kind of went away. I think it would be incredibly cool if they brought Matt Smith back, but he plays the evil version of the doctor. Whatever happens, he regenerates, and he regenerates to this evil version of the doctor. And I just think that would be cool. And then it would give Matt Smith an opportunity to... Play the same character, but not the same character.
0: Right? Huh? I don't but, know. You got me interested, Jack. I'll I'll give Doctor Who a shot.
1: All right. Well, cool, cool. Um, if you're listening, BBC, I have some ideas. Feel free to contact me. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I have ideas. You know, I I would love to uh, you know give them to you for a small fee. And I'm since you're a allowed. British TV show, it would be a small fee. Put them don't. Well. <laughs> but I anyway
0: I get off here. I'm probably gonna Google uh who Jody Whitaker regenerates into because now I'm curious.
1: No, I'm mean, yeah, you I, you could do it now if you want. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: let me look it up. Can you hear
1: me uh you're typing? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah,
0: sure. okay, yeah. Interesting. Yeah,
1: that's why I can't say who it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. So does this mean that this person is going to be the next doctor?
1: Only for, they're doing a series of, like, three specials that are part of the 60th anniversary. Okay. So it's for, like, these three specials, and then he's going to regenerate into what everybody thought was going to be the next Doctor. When she regenerated into the Doctor, it, like, freaked all the Doctor Who people out, because nobody had any inkling of an idea that it was even a possibility for this.
0: Oh, so they... In this day and age, it's it's amazing to actually keep things under wraps and to surprise people. It seems like that never happens anymore.
1: Yeah, and and they did it, <laughs> so that, I applaud that's, them that's,
0: for that. Yeah, that's impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I uh, I had fun tonight. It was it was cool hearing about somebody that's incredibly passionate about the Godfather. Absolutely. And you you definitely got me wanting to go back and rewatch Part One and Part Two. Nice, um, and I'll probably go back and rewatch uh, part three as well because I don't think i have I don't think I have watched part three since around the time it came out, you know, on vHs back in the day <laughs>
0: yeah I think it'll be better than you remember, like better than the reputation would lend you to believe or remember I believe that, yeah, uh,
1: a lot of times, you know, time goes on, and you you'll go back and watch something and it it does improve.
0: Right, right.
1: Other times you go back and you show your kids something that you loved as a kid, and you're watching it thinking, what the hell was wrong with me? A la the original Clash of the Titans.
0: Uh, Dude, I watched that. It was on HBO Max. I watched it like a month ago. (laughs) I I loved it as a kid, like you said. Oh, yeah, me too. On one hand, it does not hold up at all. On the other hand, it is still amazing to me. Like, so it's like... Yeah, if, if you're a kid watching it for the first time, you'd be like, this is terrible. But if you're like a 40, 45-year-old kid watching it again, and you haven't seen it in 25, 30 years, right. it's amazing.
1: Well, the fact that all of the special effects at the time were practical, because they were right. what, Ray Harryhausen.
0: Yep, yep.
1: Um, is still pretty impressive, and it's just looking back at it with a modern eye, It. You realize, oh, yeah. man, this is this is kind of kind of corny, but it's still better than the remake they did, in my opinion.
0: Yep, I agree completely.
1: <laughs> and when I guess it was twenty fourteen ish, maybe fifteen ish, uh, Science Museum Oklahoma had a display, and they had all of the miniatures from Ray Harryhausen.
0: Oh, that's cool! From that.
1: All of the movies he did. It was a temporary exhibit. It was only there for like a year, uh, that's and so cool. they had all of the you know, the little play dudes and all of that stuff. So they had all the Clash of the Titans stuff. Yeah. And so my brother and I went, you could buy tickets. And so they started out with a Q&A. And so there was a, like a person that wrote a book about Ray Harryhausen. And I think they had his daughter on as well. Yeah. And so there was, you know, they went and talked about the making of Clash of the Titans and his career. And you could ask some questions and whatnot. And then they screened Clash of the Titans there at the uh, science museum so we watched it and then we got to go and tour the exhibit before everybody else did
0: that's amazing
1: which that was pretty really cool. pretty cool
0: that is cool but,
1: but yeah unfortunately there are a lot of movies i love as kids or i loved as a kid and then i'd show my kids and i was just like this didn't really hold up that well
0: <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's quite a few or there's ones that you watch like i did not know that this had so much cussing in it like you watch right it, Watch it as a kid like you know you're completely oblivious to it or like i didn't know there's so much like uh like sexual innuendos in this and things like that like like watching Grease as an adult or the goonies as an yeah adult. <laughs> i mean i still love them but like it's surprising how much of that stuff is in there
1: yeah yeah i went and showed my kids uh cannonball run cannonball run too oh, yeah yeah but the kid they loved it they thought it was hilarious and i still found it funny Oh yeah, and then as an adult, I went back and got the Clint Eastwood classic, uh, Any Which Way But Loose. Nice. And I was watching it, and I'm just like, I can't believe that when I was a kid, this was like a family film.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. And it'd be like rated PG, and like, and yeah, like it be like, yeah, it's nuts.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. I ended up, uh, I have both of them. I got them on DVD just because I. I loved them and, you know, going back and watching them. And if ever there is the perfect example, you know how there's that thing that Gen X were yeah. like the forgotten generation and that our yeah. parents just didn't care about us and all of this stuff. Yeah. The fact that those movies are family movies from when we were a kid uh, yeah. almost drives that point home, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. seriously. Amazing.
1: <laughs> but yeah, if you ever want to watch a movie about a orangutan is really good at telling people uh, that he's about to do a right turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go, go back and watch those. <laughs> but anyway, no, I, uh, I appreciate you, uh, coming on. I need to go ahead and wrap this bad boy up. Um, Absolutely,
0: man. It was good to talk to you, buddy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was good to have you on. Definitely need to, uh, have you on again. I know we're, uh, we've talked about it, just haven't done it because I've been sort of busy, but I think we're going to, we definitely need to have you on with the, uh, Uh, the second sort of music challenge for you. It's the individual one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let me know and I'll be there, buddy.
1: Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, uh, everybody, once again, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up like I always do. Uh, Just remember, try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross proud. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button.